Good morning, church. I'm sure you've all been watching the news and following the updates as uh, the events unfold in, in Europe and the Ukraine. Uh, I've been uh, in touch with one of our missionaries, Matt Paschal, with United World Missions, and I just heard from him this morning. I reached out to him a few days ago to find out, hey, is there anything we can do? What's, what's going on there? Matt is... Uh, and his wife Nikki are stationed in Budapest, Hungary, so they're right near uh, what's going on there. Uh, so we wanted to find out if there was something that we could do beyond uh, offering our prayers, which are needed at this time. But is there any way our church can get involved and, and help support relief efforts on the ground there? Uh, I've seen a number of reports of just uh, incredible things happening in Ukraine, examples of the church being the hands and feet of Jesus and caring uh, for those who are hurting and suffering. Uh, I read about one church this week who uh, opened its doors to be a shelter, but they're also training locals uh, in first aid and how to mend wounds and how to treat uh, people who are injured. And these are, these are people who are not going to be doctors. They're, they're neighbors, they're friends, they're, they're family members. And so this is one example of the church being the hands and feet of Jesus in the Ukraine, and we want to do our best to support that with our prayers and, and with whatever we can uh, do to, to, to fund efforts uh, to bring relief to, um, to refugees, women, children. Uh, so uh, we'll keep you posted on that, but we have set up a channel for you to give. Uh, there is, if you give online, there's an option there to give towards uh, relief uh, for the war in Ukraine. Uh, you can give in that way. You can also mark on an envelope uh, Ukraine, uh, and your your gift can be uh, given in that way. Uh, we've yet to determine exactly where that's going, but I assure you it's going to go some, somewhere where it's going to make the most impact in the name of Christ uh, in the Ukraine. So, uh, we'll, so having said that, I'd like to lead us in, in a special time of prayer. So join me now as we go before the throne. Lord... You have established your throne in the heavens, and your kingdom rules over all. In time of war, we are grieved by true evil appearing to get its way. In times like these, we are reminded of our great enemy, Satan, and all those who serve him, seek only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And yet, we can take comfort in knowing that our enemy is defeated. He is on a leash, and his works will only ultimately be used to bring about the ultimate victory of our God and King. God, you hold the hearts of all kings in your hands like water. We plead with you that you would turn the heart of Putin from this evil. And more than that, that you would turn the heart of Putin to you, Jesus. And that he would know the peace of Christ that this conquest will never, ever give him. God, we pray that you would protect the Ukrainian people and your church and that you would frustrate the plans of evil men. We pray that you would strengthen your church in Ukraine at this time. 
that they would shine brightly and boldly for you, Jesus. Give them wisdom for how they can best serve those around them. We pray for the surrounding nations to be prepared to receive so many refugees, women and children, many of them separated from their husbands, fathers, and brothers. We pray for those who are fearful and confused that they would know the true hope in Jesus in these days. We pray that they would know the love of Christ through your people, the church. And in this trying and dark time, may they know the hope of Jesus, the light of the world. We ask, we plead for these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. As Paul mentioned, this is a significant passage. Many have committed uh, one of the verses in this passage in particular to memory. Even if you're not a religious person, you're, you're most likely familiar with it. <clears throat> but today, we're going to talk about being born again. Being born again. And that term, born again Christian, carries a lot of baggage in our world today, in our culture. When you say the, that term, born again Christian, all sorts of things flood into people's minds and thinking. For some, it means that you're a different category of, of Christian. A born-again person is someone who's really serious about their faith. Maybe they're just fanatical even. And this manifests itself in, in things like not watching R-rated movies or not smoking or drinking or sleeping around. They're very morally upright people. And so for many, being born again means adopting a strict moral system. That's what it means, adopting a strict moral system. For others, being born again is a dramatic experience. For people who've hit rock bottom and they just really need to turn their lives around. Think of someone in prison who gets saved and they now have this powerful testimony about how God delivered them out of a life of sex and drugs and crime. And, and many look at that and think, oh, wow, that is so good for them. That's just what they needed. The danger in, in thinking this way is that we can think of being born again as something that other people need to turn their lives around. But I'm doing okay. That's good for them, but I'm okay. I don't, I don't need that kind of turnaround. My life's pretty good. These are not helpful ways of thinking about what Jesus teaches about being born again. In our passage today, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And we're going to get a master class lesson from Jesus himself on the new birth. So let's get into the word together. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, use one of our pew Bibles. You'll find today's passage on page 1055. If you don't own a Bible, then that Bible there is our gift to you. 
Once you're there, please stand with me if you're able, out of reverence for the Word of God, and follow along with me as I read. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people have loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is powerful and rich, able to make us wise unto salvation. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to see, remove any blind spots from our understanding. And Father, we thank you that you are ascending God, a revealing God who wants 
us to know you and is making yourself known through your word today and through your spirit and through the the living word of Jesus. Help us to know you. Help us to see you in your word today. Change us today, Lord. May we be different people than when we first walked in here this morning. We pray for the new birth to come upon any here who have not yet received it. As we talk about being born again and what that means, Father, we pray that your spirit would move with power in our midst here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got four points to help us understand and grasp the new birth. Who needs it? What is it? How do we get it? And why does God give it? So let's start with who needs it. First notice that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. Certainly many in the circles that Nicodemus runs in Many of them were opposed to Jesus in his ministry, but apparently some were intrigued enough by the signs. And here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night so as to maybe avoid being seen by the wrong people. Why is he going to see Jesus? And night back then is a little different than night today. You know, we have Lots of light around his street lights, that kind of stuff, but this would have been uh, very dark. Jesus encounters this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, he approaches him with a degree of respect. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher, come from God. He starts, he leads with, This is what we know. Teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. But it appears as if there may be a little bit of uh, backdoor politicking going on here. Perhaps Nicodemus is trying to recruit Jesus into the inner circle, so to speak. You know, Jesus, we could really help you out, and you could help us out, and we could, we could. Help each other out. We could, we could give you a platform. Perhaps this is what's going on. We don't know because Jesus cuts it off. Jesus cuts this off. And he says to Nicodemus that unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. As if he's saying, hey, we can see something. We can see something in your works and these signs that you're doing. We can see that you're a teacher come from God. And and Jesus turns this right back around on Nicodemus and says, you know what, unless you're born again, you can't see. You can't see. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this was shocking to a devout religious Jew like Nicodemus because the prevailing view in Jesus' day was that all Jews would be admitted into the kingdom of God because they were Jewish. But Jesus says, your earthly birth certificate has no value. It earns you no special treatment. In fact, in order to even see the kingdom of God, you're going to need a new birth certificate, Nicodemus. 
you're going to need a new birth certificate. And this idea is doubled down on in verse 16 when we read that God so loved the world. Again, this was shocking to Jews because Jesus was teaching that the kingdom of God would not be restricted to any one nation or ethnicity. It would be open to all. And both Jews and non-Jews need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Now notice something else about Nicodemus. As a person, he flies in the face of all the common misconceptions in our world today about what being born again means. Look at verse 1. We're told that he is a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. In verse 10, Jesus calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. This means that Nicodemus is a member of the religious elite. He's educated. He's wealthy. He's respected. He's perhaps pretty content with his life. He's a buttoned-up kind of guy. His resume, his credentials are impeccable. And so we're told that Nicodemus is also a Pharisee, meaning that he was a strict rule-keeper. Pharisees had hundreds of rules about how to do just about anything. And if you want a moral system, Pharisees had it in spades. And so here's a guy who's not wallowing in sin, in sex, drugs, crime, but who is among the religious establishment. He's an insider. He's a social elite and with a rigid moral system. And Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Tim Keller puts it really well when he says it like this. Jesus, Jesus Christ's call to the new birth is not a call to morality or religion. It's a challenge to morality and religion. Jesus Christ's call to the new birth is not a call to morality or religion. It's a challenge to morality and religion. Jesus makes this clear by telling one of the most moral people in that society that he needs to be born again. You have to start over. You've got to go back to day one. Everything you've done that you think has scored you some points counts for nothing. Counts for nothing. And so if you're someone here today who thinks that being born again is for other people or for those people, not people like you, Jesus says you need to be born again. It's not an optional, special category of Christian. It's not for extreme or radical Christians. It's what it means to be the most basic, normal Christian. And this is good news for any of you here who are perhaps thinking, I'm too far gone. You don't know the things that I've done. The despicable things that aren't even polite to mention in, in uh, polite company. If this describes you, the good news is that you're not behind. You're not behind because you need to be born again just the same as someone like Nicodemus. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for anybody. 
We all need it. Whether you're a priest or a prostitute, you all come into the kingdom of God the same way, by being born again. And that's the first point. We all need to be born again, no matter who you are or what you've done for good or bad. What is it? That's our next point. Verses 5 to 8, Jesus is going to explain this. But the key to really understanding verses 5 to 8 is in verse 9. When Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not understanding, when he is, in fact, the teacher of Israel. Jesus is saying, you of all people, Nicodemus, you should know this stuff because you teach others the scriptures. And there it is. The key is that this is not a new teaching, it's an old teaching. So to understand the new birth, we need to know that this is a teaching that is built right from the Old Testament. This is an old teaching that comes right out of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, how did you miss this? You're a master teacher. It's right in front of you. Now look at, look at verse 5 where Jesus says that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. People have uh, thought this means different things. You know, in the history of interpretation of this verse, some think water refers to baptism. Others think water refers to natural birth. You need a natural birth and a spiritual birth to get into heaven. Uh, but this is not, I think, what's going on here. This is, a, this is a combined imagery that has roots in the Old Testament. Water was used figuratively in the Old Testament, and it almost always refers to renewal, to cleansing. And especially when used in conjunction with the Spirit, it means these things. Here's some examples. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. Or look at Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, look at one place in the New Testament that picks up on this. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you see, this is not a matter of, of changing moral systems. It's not a matter of turning your life around. Jesus is talking about being made new. He's talking about transformation. He's talking about a spiritual heart transplant. 
This is what water, being born of the water and the Spirit is, is talking about. Now look at, look at verse 8. Jesus will use another metaphor for the new birth. He says, the wind, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, in both Greek and Hebrew, the same word is used to mean spirit and wind and also breath. It's the same word. Now, this should cause us to think about Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, where God commands Ezekiel as he's, as he's looking out over this valley of, uh, of, of dead men. And to add emphasis, they're not just dead men. Their, their bones are dry. They're really dead. There's no coming back from whatever happened to them. They're, they're dead as dead can be. He says, prophesy. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The new birth. The new birth is, is something, it's something that happens to you. It's not, it's not a new moral system. It's not getting your life in order. It's a new life. It's a, it's a completely new life. It's transformation. And now to Nicodemus, he's just dumbstruck at this point. In verse 9, he, just, he says, how can these things be? How can these things be? Because Jesus, what he's proposing is something completely foreign to any other religious system. He's blowing up the categories. And by the way, that's what's unique about the Christian faith is that every other religious system in the world will give you a list of things you've got to do to get there. But not Christianity. Christianity says you need a new life. You need a new life. Not new rules. Not a new system. You need a new life. The kingdom of God is not about self-improvement. You need a new self. It's not about trying to make changes in your life to become more acceptable. You need an entirely new life. Imagine that you had an apple tree in your yard and next season you thought to yourself, you know what? I'd really like to grow some pears or peaches. I don't know. I want, I want to grow some peaches. So you think to yourself, you know, I'll just I'll water it more. And I'll, I'll prune it back just right. And I'll do everything I need to do and, and just hope for peaches next year. It's foolish. You're not going to get peaches. Because you're just doing different things to your apple tree. In order to get peaches, you need to uproot the whole thing. You need, you need a whole new system. You've got to start over. That's being born again. So that's what being born again means, having a new spiritual life where previously you were dead 
It's being made alive spiritually. So how do we get it? And this is Nicodemus's question in verse 9. How can these things be? How does, it, how does this happen, Jesus? And Jesus answers this question most directly in verses 14 and 15 by recalling another story from the Old Testament. This time, a strange little story in, in Numbers chapter 21. The people of Israel were still wandering the desert at this point in their history. And they've rebelled against God and against Moses. They've sinned against him. And so God punishes them by sending these poisonous snakes to bite them. And when the people are bitten by these snakes, they're dying. They're dying, and and the people repent, and they plead with Moses to ask God to get rid of the snakes. And God commands Moses to make a snake out of bronze and, and put it on a pole. If anyone was bitten by a snake, they were told to look to the bronze snake on the pole and they would be saved from this, vo- this poisonous venom from these snakes. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, remember, remember that snake that was lifted up when the people looked to it and were healed physically. So too the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may be healed from the poison of sin and have eternal life. Now, belief is trust. It's not wishful thinking. It's not the equivalent to believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Belief is trust. It's trusting It's trusting the promises and work of God and the person of Jesus to save you and to give you life. Think about this for a moment. When a baby is born, they don't really do anything. I should know. I've seen six of them. I missed Evelyn's because she was in the ambulance uh, in the parking lot of Royal Pools. So anytime you drive by there, think of my daughter Evelyn. I know something about this because I've, I've seen it. The babies don't do anything. You know who does? The mom. The mom. The mom does a lot. She carried the child for nine months, and now during active labor, she's working extremely hard. And there's a great deal of suffering that takes place in order for that baby to be born kind of makes me think, why do we give presents to our children on their birthday? We should give presents to the mom on their birthday, right? But this is how it is with the new birth. In order for you to live, Jesus had to be lifted up. He had to be lifted up on the cross, and he had to suffer, and he had to die in your place in order to give you new life. In order for that new birth to come to you, he had to be lifted up. He had to suffer and die. You do nothing. Jesus does everything. We need only to turn to Jesus with the simple, desperate, unqualified faith that those Israelites had when they looked to that snake in the desert. 
That's the only way you can get it, by looking to Jesus and trusting him who got it for you. This brings us to our last point. Why does he give it? Why does he give it? Many scholars believe this final section that starts in verse 16 It is not Jesus speaking. His quotation, they think, ends at verse 15. It's instead a commentary from John, the author. There's many good reasons for this view that I'm not going to get into right now. But but here, uh, John is going to explain why God gives this new birth to anyone. This is perhaps the most well-known verse in all the scriptures. And for good reason, its beauty and its clarity is simply astounding. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First notice that Jesus' saving work is grounded firmly in God's love. It's, It's firmly rooted in God's love. But I want you to see something here. What makes God's love so utterly amazing here is the object of his love, the world. The world. But it's not the size of the world or the number of people in it that makes God's love so amazing. What makes it so amazing is that God's love is to be marveled at because of how bad the world is, not because of how big it is. That's what makes God's love so amazing, that he would love the world, not for how big it is, but for how bad it is. Jesus didn't love you because you were lovable. Let that sink in. He loves you because he is love. And this fits with how John uses this term frequently in his gospel to refer not to the amount of people, but to a wicked system. And it fits with the context of this passage. Verses 18 and 19 make it clear that Jesus didn't come into a neutral world or to a world of innocent victims. He came into a world that is condemned. And remember, the Israelites in the desert, they were not innocent victims of those snakes. They were condemned. They were being punished for their rebellion. And so too with us. Our sin does not make us victims. It makes us guilty. Our sin does not make us victims. It makes us guilty. Sometimes I hear Jesus' saving work compared to things like rescuing a drowning victim or people who are trapped in a, in a burning building. But what makes God's love shine all the more brightly is when we understand that we are not victims trapped in a burning building. We broke into that building. We pillaged it and we murdered the occupants and we set the building on fire ourselves. We're not victims. We're guilty. And God does not rescue innocent victims. He rescues guilty sinners. And until you can see that you are guilty, you will never have the new birth. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those are the only two options, by the way. Perishing under the just and deserved wrath of God or eternal life purchased entirely for us by God's only Son, lifted up on the cross in our place. It's only life and it's, or it's only death. There's no third option. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the darkness of night and Jesus called him into the light. Nicodemus didn't yet believe, but we see later. As you read on in John, we'll get there eventually. At the end of John 19, after Jesus was crucified, two men prepared Jesus' body for burial with 75 pounds of expensive spices, an act of love for Jesus. Their names were Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I don't think Nicodemus got it yet here, but at some point he did. We don't know when Nicodemus believed and was born again, but I like to think that it was when he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross and he remembered these words of Jesus from this conversation and he looked to the Son of Man lifted up and believed. How about you? Have you looked to Jesus and believed? Have you been born again? I don't usually do this, but if you need to be born again today by turning to Jesus, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can pray it along with me in your heart as a way to receive Jesus today and know that you have eternal life. I'll pray it slowly so that you can pray it uh, along with me in your hearts after me. But if you need to receive Jesus today, if you, if you need to look to him and believe and have life to be born again, if you need new life, not a new system, not a new religion, not a new set of moral codes, if you need a new life, which you do, if you haven't been born again, you need it. I invite you to pray along with me. Mighty God, I've been living for myself in rebellion against you. And I am sorry. I've come to see that you love me and that you sent your son Jesus to die and rise again to cover my sin. Please forgive my rebellion. I trust in your death and in your resurrection to cover my sin. Please forgive my rebellion and give me the new birth from the Holy Spirit that I may love you and your ways. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that or something like that for the first time today, uh, I'd like to know about it. Uh, you can One way you can do that is you can fill this out and write a little note on there. Tell me, hey, I prayed that prayer with you today for the first time. 
uh, or come see me afterwards. I'll be by the door. That'd be even better. This is something to celebrate. Because if you pray that for the first time today, you didn't just switch religions. You didn't just adopt a new moral system. You've been born again. And we, we want to celebrate that. Because that means that you've been given a new heart and you've been uh, made alive spiritually. And that is something to celebrate. And so we want to encourage you in that and, uh, and celebrate that with you. So please let me know, either by filling out the card or come talk to me afterwards. But we'd love to know about that and, uh, and be able to encourage you. Uh, let me pray now, offer one more prayer for the end of this, this message. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that the new birth is something that comes to us. We didn't have to do anything to earn it or to achieve it, but Jesus did it all for us. Father, we thank you for your love, which sent your son into a wicked world to save it. And we are so thankful for that. We thank you that you save sinners, not victims. Help us, Lord, to know our sin and the depth of your forgiveness for us. For those of us who've been born again, it's easy to sometimes forget or to lose sight of the significance of it. May we, may we look to you constantly, Jesus, not just one time uh, at, at the beginning of our journey with you as we're born again, but help us to look to you daily, knowing that we need you every day just as much as the day we began. Father, we thank you that your well of grace for us never runs dry. Thank you that you love sinners. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen.